0: Hi, I'm Jim Williams, the Washington bureau chief for Genesis Communications News Talk Florida, and uh, welcome to our first edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. Joining me on the right, former Tampa Tribune writer extraordinaire Tom Jackson, and on the left, another former Tampa Bay—I'm sorry, Tampa tribune it right get it right and get it right the first time tampa tribune writer and now with news doc florida joe henderson gentlemen welcome and let's well, you talk know, you, about you notice the- how let me let me just
1: say this about that first of all uh jim this is tom jackson um notice how the guy on the left is so very prickly about about his titles <laughs> or his former titles that's just you know that's what you can expect from our friends on the left, I suppose. Uh, if, if you'd blown mine, I would have just—I wouldn't have said a doggone thing. I would have just rolled with it. You oh, you would have blamed it
2: on.
1: You could have said I was from You could have—well, <laughs> it probably would have been her fault. But uh, you could have blamed it. You, said, you could have said you—you could have said that I was from Paducah, Kentucky, and I would not have jumped in and well, said that's, anything. Well, that's very kind of you. Um, I've wouldn't got anything more. against Paducah.
0: Because we okay. no, actually,
1: I, I I lived in Paducah once upon a time when I was a very small child. My very earliest re- uh, reminiscences, in fact, are are of Paducah. But that is not getting us anywhere just now.
0: It's, no, it's, uh, it's not. Uh, let's let's get on point, boys. Okay. All right. <laughs> let's start with guy, topic guy on, one. Topic guy on the one. right
1: sucks up to the boss. There you go.
0: Thank okay. you. It's very kind. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> First day of the Republican National Convention in Cleveland went pretty much as as we expected it to go. Then we got to the primetime speakers. Two things that I want to throw out to you guys for comments. One. In the middle of the very. Heartfelt. speech being given. Uh, on Benghazi. There were a number of them. All of a sudden, at 8 o'clock, up pops Donald Trump on Fox to talk to Bill O'Reilly, basically stepping on his own convention. Later, as we all on Twitter said that Melania Trump had done a wonderful job, we come to find out that there was plagiarism in the speech. I don't for a moment think that Melania Trump had a clue that those basically three paragraphs were lifted. I think she gave a wonderful speech without knowing what was in it. And that's okay too, because she's not running for president, her husband is. So let's let's approach those first two things. One, Trump stepping on his own convention, and then I thought you were gonna say something else. No, no, no. I don't uh, okay, my, okay it's, a, it's PG for right now. The, uh, oh well good. Let's let's start with uh let's start with the situation of Trump stumping on his own convention and we'll we'll hit the next topic on uh um, Trump. Well let let me
1: do let me do this one then Joe you can you can take uh the the plagiarism angle first and uh so uh Trump did what Trump does. Uh it, everything is about him. And I think that he saw an opportunity to reach what was probably going to be the largest conservative and Republican audience on the first night of the convention. Uh, Republicans are going to be drawn to the coverage that Fox has and he's, and he is like a moth to a flame. He could not resist, even though it put him squarely squatting on top of what was one of the highlight moments of the entire night. And that's, This is going to be – this has been a problem so far, and I think it's going to be a problem going forward, that any time the spotlight strays from him, uh, Donald Trump does whatever he can do to get it back on himself. And if it takes stepping on the most poignant moment of the night before his wife takes the stage, well, he's going to do that. So Trump being Trump.
0: Okay. Joseph,
2: you're up. I I can't really disagree with that. And um, But I will tackle part two of that, which was the plagiarism. The, the act of cribbing, if you will, graphs, two or three paragraphs, whatever it was, from Michelle Obama's 2008 convention speech was amateur hour. And I'm not suggesting that Donald Trump's wife was guilty of that. You know, it should have been it was probably a speechwriter that Hey, this looks pretty good. We'll we'll change a word here or there, but here we go. Okay, stuff happens. Well, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the people out in the country are not gonna notice that. But in the Twitter world that we live in, there is somebody sitting out there in his living room or her living room going over every word and comparing and it only takes one person to find you out in this social media world so predictably um, before the sun rose it was a thing and it was it was tweeted out there that uh, look at this there's plagiarism possibly uh, what what say you Trump campaign well if I am the campaign manager Paul Manafort The very first thing I do is go, oops, we have a little problem here. I need to put out this fire. You go on, you say, you know, I understand where you're coming from on this. It was inadvertent, but clearly there was an issue there. And what we should have done is just fact-checked it a little more clearly than we did. We'll be more vigilant going forward. And, by the way, the speechwriter's fired. Story is dead by noon if they do that. But no, he doesn't. He doesn't react that way. He comes on, charges that it, you know the whole thing is absurd. That this is, how dare you this vast liberal conspiracy? And by the end of the the afternoon, or before the shoot, by the end of the morning, they were blaming Hillary Clinton for it. So now you've made it into from a minor thing into an inferno. And it speaks to judgment. It absolutely does. It speaks to management style. It speaks to the way they would govern if they can't even get this right. What are they going to do when something important
0: pops up? We know, Joe, to your point and, and Tommy, you can jump in on this as well. Another group of people that were being blamed for was obviously the press us. Um, I don't know that everybody realizes that. We know people who have been fired for plagiarism, and even the least little bit of plagiarism. I'm not talking about totally ripping something off. I'm talking about taking a couple of paragraphs from here or there and showing it up in a story. Uh, So plagiarism in our world is a serious, serious offense. It may not make a whole lot of difference to others, but it does to us, and perhaps that's where uh, the... Average listeners go, back, ah, come on, you know it's only a couple of words. what's the big deal in our it's, world it is a big deal.
2: yeah it it's a huge deal, and it's also well, understandable I, I, how I, it I, happens go ahead, wait, wait go ahead. hold on it's understandable how it happens because we right. all read mm-hmm. around the clock and you pick up things you um, a phrase sticks in your head or or you know, inadvertently, you you may copy a sentence that, that bears a strong resemblance to something else that was written, you know, and you've got to guard against that. That's why this is such a big deal, because we do guard against things like that in the media.
1: Okay, but Joe, um, I, I it's, it is a big deal among the three of us, and it is a big deal within the writing community, and it's probably a big deal within – political hackdom but what i'm seeing on facebook and twitter is get over it already it's not a big deal this was i mean to to borrow from chris christie it was not it was it was seven percent of her speech I, this is not I, i'm not i'm not backing that up i mean i think it. i think it's kind of pretty doggone awkward and i agree joe with your point of view that they could have made this go away um by by nine o'clock this morning, if somebody from the campaign had come out and said, We regret that this happened, we concede that there are an awful lot of uncomfortable similarities, but doggone it isn't it interesting that the first lady and the and the future first lady share so many ideals for this country and let it go, Just move on, you know done deal uh but well, but my but my my social media feeds and my twitter feeds and and, and the people i 'm talking to are rolling their eyes about it they don't think it's a big deal at all they look at the other 90 93 percent of the speech and say you know what this was a woman who doesn't like to speak in public who got up there and told uh, and, and did a speech in her second language no no in her fifth language she speaks five languages and this was her fifth and if she stumbled uh, if, if there were a couple of a couple of three familiar phrases that might have been lifted from from Michelle Obama's speech. Well, guess what? Uh, your word is your bond is a common phrase, and reaching for your dreams is a common phrase, and and uh, and and showing respect for people is a common phrase. That's what I'm seeing. That it's not a big deal, and if and, and they could have made it be a non-factor, a non-deal at all, that nobody would be talking about it tonight's uh, when the when the convention turns to. Um, uh, make America work again. Nobody would be talking about that if they had just come out and said, "We screwed up. We're sorry." And and Joe's right. The speechwriter is fired. Even if it even if it was no speechwriter at all. If if in fact Melania did this herself. I mean, she's a bright woman. Right. Um, if, even if she did this herself, they would they would get a straw figure and say that person did it. You're fired. You're
0: listening. Well, well, even, I, even, it, and, you're listening. By yeah, the way, it, to Politically Incorrect podcast, and we hope that everybody is enjoying it. You're listening to Tom Jackson on the right and Joe Henderson on the left. I'm Jim Williams, your host, and we'll jump right back into it. Guys, we were talking about what was going on last night with regard to Melania Trump's speech. Then this morning, the Twitter world goes crazy, and now everybody is like, as Tom, you just said, get over it, move on, nothing to see here. Well, How on uh, day with, with night, do we get past what happened here today, last night? We'll
2: we'll get we'll get past this when they nominate Donald Trump to be president. That uh, a new story will take over. Okay, mm-hmm. and I'm not even remotely suggesting that anybody's going to go to into the polling booth in November and go. Well, I was going to vote for Trump, but down, gone it, Melania's plagiarized, so I'm. Hillary, 2016. No, that's not going to happen. But it goes to judgment. It goes to how they handled the situation. Watergate was a third-rate burglary that managed to get bungled all the way into a presidential resignation. And they have bungled this situation. It's a small oh, – Wait, uh, Joe, uh, Joe, are you, in are you, you saying are, – are No, are you I'm saying, not.
1: Before you start, before you start. What do you mean before I start? Are you, are you saying that, 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 that candidates and campaigns should not deny, 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 and stonewall? Is that what you're saying? When something uncomfortable or, or unflattering happens to your candidate or somebody's near your candidate, you should not deny, 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 war room it, and stonewall? Is, is that your point? Is that your position?
2: My position is they took an insignificant something and turned it into a significant something and it goes to their judgment and Donald does it Trump, rise, does it wait 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 does it rise down, to the live. level calm of down, having a private down, server in said. your
0: basement and and running and running private huh? and, and yeah, down, uh, down the down the uh, okay because because no. as, lo- as long as we're going to talk about judgment i think that we are having a I think
1: there's a real problem with the judgment here, of the woman who's the, here, who the Democrats are going to nominate next week.
0: Here's where I see it, okay? Please. I see it as this <laughs> is an infomercial. And it doesn't matter whether it's a Republican convention or a Democratic convention. These conventions are infomercials, okay? You mm. are setting them up to make your person, your nominee, look in the best possible light that you can. What? Manafort did Paul Manafort, the campaign manager, started the day off on NBC by calling out Governor Kasich for not a showing invention. All right. He's the guy's got a 67% popularity rating in a state where half the state can't decide whether it's the daylight or nighttime. They are always at each other. So for him to have a 67% rate. In the state of Ohio, you're going to take that Ohioan. I mean, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't, are I can't argue. Against, are
2: you going to take that? <laughs> I can't argue against the truth. So,
0: so, so my All point right. being, my point being, if you're if you're totally in charge of this infomercial, and you know this is something Trump has history with, he he clearly understands television. How is it possible that? You have a day go by like this, where the little things are self-inflicted wounds. You caused it, okay? It wasn't some outside entity that came in and and, met, and messed this up. Manafort, your, your campaign manager, goes after the sitting governor. Your wife accidentally, nobody's saying she did it on purpose, ends up giving a speech which was beautiful and brilliant. But it ended up being partially plagiarized. How do you get the track back on uh, the train? I'm sorry, back on the track. Joe, you had said that uh, you know once Donald Trump is nominated tonight, then uh, you know the track, the train should be back on the track. Do you agree with that, Tommy?
1: Well, I think the point that Joe was getting at is that yes, they're going to nominate Donald Trump tonight, and so there will be an, an entire new story to talk about and the story is going to be one that that uh an awful lot of republicans and 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 likely voters are still going to be queasy about. I saw a story today about uh young conservatives canvassing Ohio, uh, uh kids working for I I say kids they're in their 20s uh working for um Americans for Prosperity. Uh, or the American Enterprise Institute, one or the other, but they are going door to door to door around Ohio, which is a vitally important state to to sure. republicans they can 't they can 't win the white house without uh, without ohio and in their in their spiel as they as they are going around collecting information from likely voters, they are not mentioning donald trump 's name at all now, what does that say i mean well, they're, they're, going the this, they're going to nominate nominate this they 're going to it. nominate Go ahead. They're going to nominate Donald Trump tonight, and and the and, and the governor's uh, the governor of the state, a swing state that re- Republicans can't win without is not going to be there. This is a problem. This is a major problem.
0: It is, and well, sure. you know, we were talking about the importance, and you guys know it's if it's not Ohio, it's Florida, okay, and the i ninety you know i ninety five on the south part of Florida. I-4 corridor is where things are decided. We're seeing well, what's going I- on right now with the situation in Cleveland. And as you said, Tommy, that, you know, the sitting governor is not lifting a finger to help. What's it like on the ground in Florida for Trump? There I will is. Say this, go
2: ahead, John. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not sensing that there is a great Trump organization in Florida. And by contrast, um, I'll share a little story that uh, Tampa Mayor Bob Buckhorn told me uh, on a couple of occasions. Now, he is a Democrat. He is all in for Hillary Clinton, so filter that how you will. But in uh, 2012, uh, President Obama uh, on a stop in Tampa, made sure to go by this iconic Cuban restaurant uh, in West Tampa, known as the West Tampa Sandwich Shop, and it became a story. free media. Everybody loved it. Um, and I was talking to the mayor about it, and he, I said, how, um, you know, how would President Obama, I said, he must really be organized uh, here in Tampa to be able to pull something like that off. And he said, well, he's been here ever since 2008 he never left and then when it became uh, clear that Hillary Clinton was was going to be the nominee revisited that conversation with with the mayor and he said yeah Hillary is picking up all of president obama's ground team in florida she's very well organized she's all over the state and it's it goes to her organization which contrasts to trump So I think he's going to have a tough time winning here in Florida. The polls indicate kind of been going back and forth a little bit, but uh, as this goes on, I think her level of organization is really going to hurt
1: him. I would, I would say, I would, I would add on to that that in about five minutes, we're going to hear from somebody who is actually a grassroots, grassroots organizer here in, in Florida, uh, Sandy Graves, who lives in, and Land Lakes, which is just north of Tampa, it's a beautiful bucolic part of uh, of Pasco County, which is a, a sprawling, growing, changing county uh, just north of Tampa and St. Petersburg. But she's Sandy has been in uh, in Republican politics most of her life, uh, and she is at the convention now as a, as a first-time delegate. She might be able to shed some light on how the organization is going. But I know for for a fact that. The, the Trump himself, the Trump campaign, is not doing very much in terms of organizing just yet. I think that's a terrible mistake. They're they're going to rely on the RNC to uh, to to help them get organized across the country and especially in swing states. I think that's also a mistake. I mean, I remember um, in 2012, Joe. Since you bring it up, um, mm-hmm. the, there were Barack Obama had one office in Wesley Chapel, which is a a suburb also in in Pasco County, north of Tampa, and um, you could not get past the front door. You'd knock on the door, you'd you'd identify yourself as a journalist, and they would crack it just wide enough there was no chain on the door, but there might as well have been a chain on the door. They said, all media inquiries have to go through the the, the headquarters in Miami. Contrast that to uh, the two absolutely wide open Mitt Romney headquarters that were one was nearby and the other was only over on the other, over on the West side. And you could just walk in, talk to people, people going in and out all day long, getting, getting campaign material. It was, it was a a beautiful thing. And I thought, wow, there's an awful lot of energy in the Romney camp and it doesn't seem to me like there's nearly as much energy uh, in in the Obama camp. And that's what motivated me to make a bet that I still haven't paid off with Joe about buying uh, the, the the, the the loser of the election would buy the other would buy the other one lunch and and i'm going to have to pay off sometime before the, this election or i'll really be a welcher but um i but what that shows is it doesn't matter how much you energize people going in and out of your offices if you don't know the territory i mean it's straight out of the music man if you don't know the territory and you can't recruit people to get out for your candidate uh you've got problems and i think that that is something that is is going to confront the the trump uh campaign if they don't really get motivated and get going uh from this standing start that they've got uh, real fast real soon
0: hey tommy we're now yeah. listening to everybody is listening to the politically incorrect podcast your guest has arrived please introduce uh, your guest to us
1: well, we have now with us the aforementioned Sandy Graves. She is, a, uh, she is one of those rare native Floridians. She is from a sprawling part of Pasco County, north of Tampa, called Land Lakes. She has been involved with Republican politics almost probably since she cut her first teeth. Uh, she is the Republican state committee woman from Pasco County, which means that she is officially a member of the Republican Party of Florida, and she's also the Congressional District 12 Chair. So having said all that, welcome, Sandy Graves, to the Politically Incorrect podcast.
3: Hey, Tom, how are you doing? Well, all well
1: here.
3: Yeah, hey from Cleveland, I might add.
1: (laughs) Um, We wanted wanted to have you on, Sandy. And by the way, you're here with Jen Williams, who is hosting this from Genesis Communications, and also from my longtime colleague, at the Tampa Tribune, the former and the belated Tampa Tribune, Joe Henderson. fellow, say hello to the lady.
0: Yes, Hi, and Sandy. Andy, just so you know, I grew up and lived in Lutz, so I know exactly where you are, and uh, it is a lovely area of the the state, and uh, we are very pleased to have you with us on our first Politically Incorrect podcast. Oh, thanks. Now. This
3: is history, then. Good. <laughs> that's right. You, you are first guest, first Any-
1: podcast. You are. Nobody can ever take that away from you. Oh, yeah, I'm excited.
3: Now that was Lutz uh, Lutz uh, Hillsboro, right? Not Lutz
0: Pasco. Uh, Lutz
3: Hillsboro. Other... yeah, because Lutz uh, Pasco, I have to explain, is actually Land O'Lakes. Okay, <laughs> All right, well, moving uh, on. Fine. <laughs> 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 it's like the, the
0: reason in Chevy Chase, Maryland. So go ahead. <laughs> exactly.
1: The,
0: the reason, the, the the reason, Sandy, we we wanted to have you on, especially
1: not. Our our long-standing professional relationship notwithstanding is because you are one of those people who has made I, – I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are one of those Republicans who has made the long journey from supporting other Republicans during the early part of the primary and thinking that you might not ever be able to get around to supporting somebody like Donald Trump, but that when he became the nominee – you began to see qualities in him that you had not really recognized before, and now you are full-on behind him. Can you describe, can you give us the narrative of how that happened, where you started, and how you got to where you are?
3: Well, I, I started at the beginning thinking we had a great field. but that's just first off, regardless of which everyone won. And I said from the get-go that um, whoever was left standing, because I actually started out as a Carly Fiorina Um, supporter. So it was whoever, you know, man or woman was left standing, I would support. Um, uh, Actually, Carly didn't last that long, uh, unfortunately for me. But um, as as the field progressed, um, Donald Trump obviously became the winner. And I always supported whoever the people um, decided on. Because I think the process, as much as you heard about um, the system, the system works. Um, and a primary system is one where Republicans pick, um, their candidate and granted in some states we have open primaries and, but still, nevertheless, uh, people spoke just like they did for Reagan and just like they did for McCain and just like they did for, um, um, uh, Bush's, uh, you know, uh, it's a process and people pick their, uh, their choice. So I'm, I'm ready to move with people's choice. Sandy.
1: What was your, no. go ahead. Go ahead, Jim
3: just gonna say you were
0: on the you know you're obviously in the building at the queue in uh, in Cleveland
3: and well I'm I, not at the queue right right no, this no, second. No.
0: No. I'm sorry I meant to qualify that what I was about to say was you were at the queue last night oh yes during the during the convention uh, Joe and Tom and myself have been chatting a bit about uh, the speech and how well it went for Melania Trump she did an outstanding job. <laughs> And, uh, then this morning, of course, there was the controversy over the possibility of the plagiarism situation as a delegate. And as a, as a Republican, does it bother you in any way, shape or form about that possible plagiarism situation? Or is that just something that we in the media have ginned up a bit? And
3: that's you in the media. Um, first of all, Milani is not, <laughs> Melania is not running. Um, and, uh, it wasn't total plagiarism, would it be if it's just a certain little portion of words. And uh, I don't I'm one of those that don't think anything is um, you know, original with anyone because we've been on this planet a long time. <laughs> so sooner or later you're you're copying something from someone. Um there's no phrase that hasn't been turned, so to speak. So um And hey, sometimes that's the greatest form of flattery, isn't it? So
0: True, and did you uh well maybe your, she
3: should, maybe she should have chose someone else to flatter. Yeah. Pardon me?
0: I was just saying, what was your highlight of the day?
3: The highlight of the day, my goodness, just being here has been so exciting for me, but I think the highlight I'm really impressed with the um Gold Star Mothers. Um and just the the sense of sincerity they have. Over what has happened with their sons serving, and um how they feel totally um, you know against what happened in Benghazi and what happened with their sons and giving their lives, and how they feel that their government hasn't been there for them so um that's been i don't know that that's been a highlight, but that's been one of the biggest touching uh, moments for me um because Karen the gold star mayor uh, mom, that was talking about Aaron, her son, and the rules of engagement, and how she's very angry about those rules of engagement. She also spoke at our breakfast, and she's a dynamic speaker. So that's been that's been good for me because I think um, that's that's one of the biggest things I think we need to be very cognizant of. Um, in this election is our security and our safety and, and our, our veterans and our military, guys that are out there day in and day out and give their lives, and, and we need to have someone as a commander of chief that's going to be have their backs, not only our military, but our law enforcement also. So um, that whole day yesterday was on safety and security and uh, making America safe, um, so I think those highlighted that day.
0: You're listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast. And uh, Tom, I know you wanted to ask a question. Go ahead. Well, I did, but, but I,
1: I wanted to ask because we talked about this um, a few weeks ago for a column that I wrote for a little publication in Pasco County called The Laker. Um, and, and and there are, Sandy, there are uh, still those Republicans who don't think that, that Donald Trump is Republican enough. And you made, for me, that, that day that we visited about him, You made a fairly eloquent argument on his behalf uh, about the areas of the the policy areas and the philosophical areas that you think that he lines up pretty well uh, with with Republicans, especially the Republican base. And would you mind mentioning those again, if you can recall?
3: Well, I think right now he's given voice to the situation with immigration and how we need to in our our immigration policies need to be reformed and that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, you know, cut off the border totally or whatever that's concerned. But we have to be cognizant of the fact that people are coming into this country that don't like us and they're not, they're, they're, um, wishing us ill and our borders are porous. So I think he's speaking to that situation. He's speaking to the fact that, you know, America first, um, you know, take care of our own citizens um, before we start just willy-nilly um, taking care of others. Um, not that we're not a caring nation. I think he believes in, in, in caring for, for other uh, for people. But we need to be very cognizant of our own borders and our security. Um, also, I spoke to the trade situation and our economy. Um, there's a lot of people in this country still that want America to be Successful in our trade and our our standing in this um, in this world, um, not only with trade, but in also in our our strength of um, abroad. Um, you know, Obama's the one that said lead from behind. That's an oxymoron. You can't lead from behind. There's, you're not a leader if you're behind something. Um, and it's scary too. And I think over the years, with his, that philosophy of leading from behind, um, we've lost a lot of respect in the world. I think um, Donald Trump loves America, and I think he wants to see it as a leader. And I think he thinks his. And I, I believe it too. I think I, I don't think uh, Trump even knows the word failure. And I, don't, I think he, he believes himself as a leader. So, um, and I see it in him too. I think you want Sleet in America to be great again. Did I do that okay? You
0: did a wonderful job. So that's, Joseph. Uh,
3: <laughs> that's yeah. what I said. I just said it's nice to see somebody love America again because I'm not too sure our leadership has done that in a while.
0: Oh, uh,
1: excuse um, me. I do believe they did. Oh, Joe, you've got to want that. You've got that, to want
0: that. Oh, Go ahead, well, Joe. Got, I'll let you have it, yeah, Joe
1: Henderson.
0: Uh, your turn. Well, that wasn't the
2: question I was going to ask, but I will. I will say that. Uh, Sandy, with all possible respect, it really um, is insulting to people on the left, if you will, to suggest they don't love America. And that is something that Republicans have done repeatedly uh, for years. And to suggest that is just unfair and inaccurate. I believe Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and all the rest of the folks up there love America. They may have a different idea about how we should go about it, but that does not make them someone out to to bring America down. I will now climb off my soapbox.
1: <laughs> yeah. I did want to yeah. ask. It, it, he, will, he will climb off his, fo- his soapbox. In defense of the guy who said, "I want to fundamentally change America." That's how much he loves it. Go ahead, Joe. You're up. You're back. And
2: you're taking and Thomas uh,
1: <laughs> with all love and
2: respect, my friend. You're taking that totally out of context. But the oh, question I'm going to ask please. Sandy possibly
0: oh, plagiarist.
2: Yeah, possibly. Uh, the the question I want to ask Sandy is on when when uh, Mr. Trump gives his acceptance speech it's probably going to be one of the most watched political speeches of all time. If people who love him are going to tune in, people who don't love him are going to tune in people who have made up their mind will tune in. What do you, as a Republican supporter of this man want to hear him say?
3: Oh, you know what? He's just, now I will say this, rhetorically he could maybe add a few, um, reagan-esque sort of uh, situations to a speech but i think he's already given voice to a lot of what america angst is all about right now um so i want to see him do that with eloquence um and um basically i want to see him unify the party i know it sounded like we had a little uh a problem yesterday with uh people that, um, Still for Cruz. But most of that um, voice you heard was from the gallery. It wasn't from the floor at all. We're pretty unified right now. And I want him to continue unifying the party with the vision of what he has and just moving forward America and moving um, forward um, ideas of where we can go as far as uh, economically to move our country forward, where we can go with immigration policy reform, where we can go with um, tax reform where we can go with so many different things that have been sort of, this, they all made it for so long. Um, this country doesn't need, uh, they were doing this, uh, Frank Lance was with us the other day and, um, and was doing sort of those focus group questions. And he said that the ma- majority of millennials, actually 58 or 60%, actually um, uh, favor uh, a socialist government. I, I can't believe in America when we've, uh, you know, our whole founding was not on socialist ideas. We need to get back to some fundamentals of what this country was about. And I'd like to just see that. Okay. Is you that know,
0: all right? it was well yeah. said. I, I, Frank is a good friend and I, I believe his, his statistics normally. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I think when, when Frank speaks of that, I think what, what he's talking about, the millennial situation is socialism, not in the socialism of a Canada or of a um, of a um, of a England or or even France, for that matter. I believe what the millennial situation is, Sandy, and uh, the three of you can chime in here on the Politically Incorrect podcast with uh, with what we're chatting about today, I think they're looking at the ability to work on situations with regard to school and and uh, economic equality and, and some of the things that they feel are out of bounds. And and frankly, it's the reason that a Donald Trump and a Bernie Sanders are, uh, in the case of Donald getting the nomination, in the case of Bernie Falling just short is because they do speak in a different way about how things need to be done. I'm not suggesting for a moment that um, that Mr. Trump is a uh, socialist. Uh, I'm simply saying that there are some socialistic ideas that were advanced during the campaign by both gentlemen that uh, rang rather uh, rather. Entertainingly or informatively to millennials, and I think that that's why uh, you're seeing those numbers that Frank, uh, you know, showed to the other day. There, I don't think it's traditional socialism. I just think it's a, a brand uh, of democracy that they feel is more to their liking.
3: Well, then okay. <laughs> <laughs> just an
0: observation. That
3: it's semantics, and what, what is socialism?
0: Okay, yeah, well, I don't, I don't think then, that, they, that they, you know, that they looked at, you know, the the Stalinist Trotsky plan and said, oh, hey, that's a good plan, look what it did for Russia. Uh, no, I, I don't think they went that way with it. I think that it's more of a shared wealth concept, which, of course, both sides, as I said before, Mr. Trump and Bernie Sanders struck a, a very good chord in that, you know. It's hard it's hard to be a blue collar billionaire but evidently uh, uh Donald <laughs> Trump has been able to pull that act off but uh that's why people identify with him that's why so people it, identify with, with well I definitely
3: don't, I don't want Donald Trump to go share the wealth and I don't want that to be in his speech
0: <laughs> No I'm just saying No yeah. that, now
3: that would that would get a headline if it did. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, I feel like I'm in Jesse Watters' world, which I did. I met him the other day. <laughs> but I saw no, your uh, picture. Yeah, yeah, I was really impressed with him. <laughs> nice guy.
0: Well, there you go. So, what are you looking yeah. forward to? The rest of the convention. I know first time conventions are are very special, and so I'm sure you're just drinking and having a great time.
3: Yeah, it's just great. It's great, you know. Makes the floor. Some memories. Ah, uh, I'm having so much fun. It's just nice, and you know, my dad actually. Uh, was a democrat at a convention with Jimmy Carter. So, it's kind of funny, but he was a Florida democrat. So, um, you know, they they um there were a lot of them back then. <laughs> but he was he, he really wasn't for De- uh Jimmy Carter too much. He ended up voting for Reagan.
0: Well, actually, I my first convention was that convention. I actually worked as a as a speech for uh, for Mr. Carter as, um, well, President Carter, I should say, as, um, while I was still at USF and, uh, Brad Culverhouse pulled me in on that thing. And oh wow, my boss, my boss surprisingly, was Chris Matthews. And uh, oh. <laughs> so you can, you can get an idea of what kind of craziness was going on in that regard, but it was a very yeah. interesting, 76 was a very interesting situation. And politically, if you're, if you're a fan, folks, uh, do some research on seventy six, and and that was uh, that was the bellwether convention, of course, uh, where uh, Ronald Reagan and of course uh, Gerald Ford had a had a, a contested convention. It was the last contested convention that we had. It's a very entertaining thing to look at and history to check out. So if you are a uh, politics fan, and hopefully if you're listening to the politically incorrect podcast, you are a fan of politics, and uh, that's something you're going to want to look into. But Sandy, we really appreciate you joining us and, and giving us your insights from uh, from Cleveland and as part of the Florida delegation there.
3: Yeah, and no, I, I just want to qualify something. There is no way I say my Democrat friends don't um, love America. I know we all do, and we want what's best for her. I just want somebody that just uh, goes up there and defends her and stands with a lot of pride for her and, that, and doesn't make excuses we're a good country. We're good people. So y'all take care and congratulations on your first day. Thanks Thank for having you. me. Thank you, Sandy. Our first guest. Uh-huh. Hello, hey guys,
0: it's Will Weatherford.
3: Well look at that! Will.
0: Look at that! We live well Hi, and then
1: we get Will.
4: <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm a minute late. That's no okay. Problem.
0: Well, you're on. You're on the air with uh, the politically incorrect podcast. I'm Jim Williams. I'm the host of the show, and of course, you know tom jackson and uh, joe henderson were with me and uh you've got an,
4: all, you've got an all-star
0: cast We've there, got Jeff. an all-star cast and uh is sally still with us sandy has, no, sandy. Sandy has moved sandy, on sandy's gone okay yeah, sandy. sandy
1: had to go catch sandy had to go catch the bus now uh for our listeners our, our our next our second ever guest is will weatherford he was the 84th speaker of the florida house of representatives He served from 2012 to 2014. He was the youngest speaker of the state uh, of any state house in America at that time. Um, And he is he is also from the powerhouse county of Pasco, north of Tampa in Florida, Um, serves on a bunch of boards and he's and he's and we expect him to do things in politics again at some point. But right now, Will is the managing partner of Weatherford Partners, a business he founded with his, uh, with his brothers, Sam and Drew. Uh, folks from Florida and, uh, and fans of football will remember, uh, remember Drew Weatherford as the starting quarterback for Florida State University. And right. Sam is probably the most impressive one of the, of the bunch. Big, tall, rangy fellow who spent a couple of years, at least, as a, uh, as a missionary in China. Um, so impressive family, Will Weatherford, welcome to the first episode of the Politically Incorrect podcast. Well, thank you for the kind
4: introduction, Tom. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be the second person to, uh, to participate. I feel like my entire life I'm always coming in second. So this is just part of the course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm trying to remember the last time you ever came in second, but that's okay. We're not going to debate that right now. Uh, we, um, your your brother, Drew, has not been shy about making it clear that he is part, I believe, of the never-Trump uh, contingent of Republicans. He's been posting stuff to to Facebook, and he has been catching some flack for it, too. He posted the other day the, the op-ed that Jeb Bush uh, wrote for The Washington Post about how the former governor of Florida, and I believe that you are a, uh, if anything, you're a Jeb Bush Republican. I, I think that's right um, – and, and Jeb wrote that he hopes that Donald Trump is not the future of the Republican Party. So I, having just had Sandy on, who is committed to supporting Donald Trump, come what may, what are your thoughts on the state of the Republic, Republican Party right now as as it pertains to Donald Trump and the future as, as we move forward? Well,
4: I, I think it's a, it's a really good question. And, um, you know, I would say, uh, you know i'm a i'm a conservative republican and uh I, I certainly uh was a big fan of jeb bush when he was governor of the state of florida and and led the state of florida in a tremendously conservative way and uh made a lot of us proud when he did it you know donald trump it's it's an int- it's such an interesting uh, moment in history for our party and you know i think what jeb was trying to say in that op-ed was that he both believes and hopes that the donald Trump's style and and the belief structure that he brings to the table is not the future of the party. Nobody can argue with the success that Donald Trump has had. He's tapped into a level of anger and resentment and frustration of the American people, particularly Republicans that are in America, and has done a great job, ran a great campaign. You can't take that away from him. But if, if you look at his actual position on issues, there's actually a very far departure from what conservative Republicans actually believe. Everything from free trade, To the fact that for most of his adult life, he's been supportive of universal health care, which is to the left of Barack Obama, Um, everything from his position on, uh, you know, America's role in the world when it comes to military affairs and and, and what role do we have in the Middle East and and, and all these countries and so. It's just a more isolationist approach, and so it's not that he's a bad guy. And in fact, I've I've interacted with Donald Trump on numerous occasions. He tried to convince me to give him a casino in Doral in Miami, where he owned a big piece of property, which we <laughs> obviously didn't do. Uh, that's a true story, by the way, Tom. And and so I don't I don't dislike him, but I think the concern is the the approach he's taken to this primary has brought more division to both our party and potentially to the country and it's not a, a platform based on ideas. It's a platform based on very strong rhetoric and long-term that's very dangerous for the party.
0: Well, uh, oh. this is Jim Williams in Washington. I think that one of the things that, and I've been here since the um, since 1992 when I started following the Bill Clinton situation and, and the White House and that, uh, and Newt Gingrich was a Speaker of the House at the time. One of the things that I've seen here in Washington, and perhaps you can chime in from a, a statewide standpoint, has been an almost lack of even cordiality amongst people on, on the Hill. Every time I go over there, it's it's not like people are talking to each other. They're talking... At each other, away from each other, cloistering themselves away, and putting themselves in a situation where they never seem to talk or want to give even an inch one way or another. And uh, I think that uh, the time of governance has become difficult. And then, you know, to follow up with that, I know I've spoken to Speaker Ryan, who at times has been frustrated with his own caucus because of the Freedom Caucus. So, mm-hmm. As we talk about the where the GOP is going Trump post-Trump, do you foresee a schism in the party that is going to be easy to bring back or going to be difficult, or do you see them actually splitting in some regards?
4: Well, I don't see a splitting, but I think we need to decide what we want to be when we grow up as a party, and do, do we want to be a party that is an isolationist party? Or do we want to be a party that believes that America's role in the world is a, is a force for good? The a party that is uh, fighting for limited government and its role uh, in people's everyday lives, or do we believe that having a larger government is is uh, the the future of where America is going? Do we w- do, do we want to uh, you know um, when it comes to trade, you know all these all these issues, we we have to decide what we want to be, and I think. So what Donald Trump has brought is more uncertainty to that because people are enamored with what they view as the sincerity of his his words and his opinions and the fact that he's not afraid to say what he's thinking. And I think there's some admirable qualities to that, but behind that… Are some very questionable policies, and and it's it's in concerning for our parties. I, I don't think we'll there'll be a split or a schism, but I do think we have to decide what we want to be, what type of party do we want to be, and um, you know Donald Trump likes to compare himself to Ronald Reagan, but the truth is, if you look at where they are in policy issues, they're they're pretty far apart, and and don't really share a very similar worldview. So that's just a an overall. You know, concern that I have, you know, you mentioned something about Congress and the fact that people just have no inclination to work with each other anymore. And I I think part of what's driving that is a combination of, you know, the 24 hour news cycle. um, You know, nobody really having clean hands on that and and just the, the desire to put more information out there in front of people for ratings. And then secondly, if you think about it this way. No one's worldview is being challenged because if you get your news, and I think over half of Americans today get their news from Facebook, okay? So if you get your news from Facebook, you know, based on what you click on, all those algorithms that they use to determine what you want to see, they just end up reinforcing what you already believe. So if you look at someone's thread, you can kind of figure out in five seconds if they're a Democrat or Republican, because based on what's popping up in front of them is is just a regurgitation of what they've clicked on in the past and what they have shown to believe in. So no, people are getting basically one side of the news on both sides, and so there's no wonder why the left is getting further to the left, and some parts of the right are getting further to the right, and nobody seems to be able to communicate anymore because no one is willing to even acknowledge that maybe there's another opinion out there that challenges their own, and I just think that's a that's a concerning thing for democracy, you know. And I'm a I'm a hardcore I'm a hardcore unapologetic conservative Republican, but I also am at least You know cognizant enough to know that i don't have all the answers and and i don't want to just be reminded of what i already
1: believe every day i want it to be challenged because that's how you get sharper right and i want to and i want to point out that that when he was speaker of the house this this is not just will talking this is not just rhetoric um as speaker of the house will weatherford made a point of making sure that there was inclusion uh, for for minority Democrats and and he didn't have to. I mean, they, he had a super majority in the House could pass anything he wanted. Had a veto-proof majority if the governor decided he didn't like what the House was doing. And yet he made he made accommodations for for Democrats to have their say about whatever sort of legislation came out of the House. And it's why I correct me if I'm wrong, Will, but I think that you all passed two budgets that were unanimous. In, from the House of Representatives in those two years, is that? I yeah, think that's I think, right. You no, know, I
4: think that's right. I think that's right. We, well, and, and it wasn't that um, we didn't adopt very many policies that came from the Democrats, but we gave them an opportunity to to talk about them. And you know, I I, uh, I disagree with my friends on the left just as much as anybody else, but I'm at least willing to listen to them for ten minutes before I tell them they're wrong. And, <laughs> and I
3: think when you, when,
4: you, when you tell them they're wrong before you listen to them, it's it's like you never even gave an opportunity for there to be a thoughtful conversation. And, you know, are they wrong most of the time? Sure. I believe that they are, but it doesn't mean they're wrong about everything all of the time. And it also doesn't mean that, you know, Republicans, if we, like in Tallahassee, where you control the house, you control the Senate, you control the governor's mansion, you control the cabinet, any one party when it has absolute power that's unchecked is dangerous. And so it's good to have a check and balance, not just within different, uh, Uh, forms of government, but also within parties. It's good for a party to check the other party and make sure that it's being held accountable. And so I thought that by giving them a voice, you are allowing that debate to take place. We should never be scared to debate free enterprise and why we support it. We should never be scared to debate limited government and why we support it. We should never be scared to fight for family values and the importance of the family unit and be afraid to have that debate. You know, when we when we when we when we run from it, or we just insult our way through the conversation, as opposed to having a thoughtful, uh, you know, robust discussion, it makes it look like we don't have the facts on our side, and we do have the facts on our side, and we have, you know, reality on our side, and we should be not scared to use it.
0: You know, well, uh, Will,
2: if I could, if I could ahead. jump in and ask one quick question. Does go, ahead. That, um, go ahead. As as yeah, as a. As a staunch Republican, does it bother you in any way that so many prominent members of the party are skipping the convention in Cleveland?
4: I don't know if it bothers me. I mean, I'm not there either, so I can't really cast a stone um i I think it's a personal choice for people, and um I think it's 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 worrisome for the for the party um but but let's face it I mean the Republican convention is Essentially, there to develop the platform for the party, and it's there to nominate the the Republican nominee for president of the United States. And so, if you're not overly excited about the nominee, the president for the United States, there's I think there's people who just don't want to fake it. You know, there are people uh, like the governor of uh, of Ohio, who are, haven't really said a whole lot. They're not necessarily disparaging the nominee, but they just don't want to be there and be participating in it. So I think there's a lot of people that are torn, and then there's others who say, you know, the other logic to it is, well, he's better than her, and if you don't vote for him, you're essentially voting for her, and and they make that argument, and I think there's there's legitimacy to that argument, but um, to say that you know not supporting Donald Trump is essentially supporting Hillary Clinton, I think is a is a bit of a stretch, but I understand the point, and and it's a it's a logical thought, and so I, I'm con- I'm concerned about the lack of unity in the party, but I can understand why people don't want to be there and be a part of it.
0: You know, I I don't know if you saw this, Will, but um, Nicole Wallace did a really nice piece with Jeb a uh, couple couple days ago on uh, on MSNBC, and Jeb was talking, Jeb Bush, former governor of Florida, so that I set this up for people who don't know who, who I'm speaking of, and Nicole Wallace who uh, used to work with the Bush family and now is uh, with MSNBC. She did a piece the other day with Jeb and Jeb said that uh, she asked him about his support or lack thereof of of the nominee and he said when I say Donald Trump what comes to your mind because it makes me afraid and then they said what about Hillary Clinton because she makes me mad. So do you vote for Frey or do you vote for SAD? Uh, I'm not sure how that goes. But the one thing I wanted to ask you, Will, about this is that with guys like Jeb Bush, with John Kasich, I mean, if you look at a resume for president, either one of those two gentlemen would have a resume that would be strongly thought of under normal circumstances as a resume for president. How did things get so out of whack  … … this time around that a Donald Trump outsider, a Bernie Sanders outsider for that matter, was able to come it, it, in it, it yeah. get in.
4: As a as – a, not being a Democrat, it's hard for me to psychoanalyze what the Democrats were thinking with Bernie
0: aside from Joe the fact that… Oh and I will Hillary do said, that for you. That's yeah, right. aside
4: from <laughs> the fact that Hillary – well, Hillary's just a terrible candidate I think, and I, I don't think that she's very uh, inspirational, and, and at least Bernie was willing to say what he was, which is a socialist, and I think that inspired… of the Democratic Party who agree with his philosophical view of the role of government. And so I think he was people appreciated his honesty and his forthrightness about what he believed and how he thought America should change, which is the polar opposite of mine. But I respect his his uh, his transparency about it with with Trump. It's a different phenomenon. And and I, I don't think there was any scenario this cycle where Jeb Bush or John Kasich could have won. And it's a combination of factors. The first one is is that our, our appetites as voters seem to be, have, have shifted more to where we seem to want to be entertained a little bit, not just, you know, people aren't as interested in the 10 point plan of how you're going to fix America. They're more interested in, you know, uh, who's who's more entertaining in talking about how they're going to build the wall or who's more entertaining and saying, you know, I'm going to ban all Muslims from coming to the United States for, for a period of time. Those kind of, you know, uh, very rash, but uh, you know, there you know, in a time where people are afraid, people are are concerned about the immigration problems of our country, and they should be. People are concerned about the radical Islam uh, uh, spreading through our country, and they should be. And I think he took advantage of that and, and, and to, to, to to take to blow that up. The media gave him probably a billion dollars of free airtime. So if you were to compare the amount of airtime that Donald Trump had on all the major networks over the last twelve months versus what a Jeb even a Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio or John Kasich or Ted Cruz received. They just they were like a fraction of it. And in fact most of them spent their campaigns responding to questions like Donald Trump said X yesterday, what do you think about that? And so they weren't even able to be on offense because they spent their entire campaign responding to what one other person in the race was saying. And he was getting eighty percent of all the attention on the networks, and so I think it just became a self-fulfilling prophecy with the media. They kept talking about it, and the more they talked about it, the more people were kind of, you know, ginned up by it. And sooner or later, you woke up, and Donald Trump was the nominee of the Republican Party.
1: There you go. Uh, Will, we promised to let you go at a a propitious moment, and that moment has come. But I would, I would be remiss. As a as a working contract journalist, uh, before I let you go, if you this is an opportunity if uh, if you wanted to make news about what your future plans are <laughs> regarding politics, this would be you know a, a, a history-making opportunity for you to do that. So, what's your well, next plan? Well, there's a rumor a there's, a,
4: there's a there's a rumor Tom that the mosquito control seat is opening up in Pasco County, so I am strongly considering that. And that will be hotly contested next, this year. It's it's a pretty hotly contested race and so we'll we'll see where that goes. But in, in all seriousness, I love public service. I love the Republican Party. And um you know, in the next four or five months I've gotta make a decision as to whether or not I wanna continue serving in another capacity, maybe in a statewide capacity, or if I wanna continue in business with my Brothers family. So uh, both are great options to have, and uh, I've got to do a little bit of thinking about it, a little bit of praying about it, and uh, some soul searching, and we'll see what happens.
1: But no news to break today, Tom. Sorry at to this point.
0: By the way, Will, well, it's are you, you pro it's
1: good to talk or? to a man with. I'm Go sorry. It's, ahead, it's nice to talk to a man with nothing but good options in front of him. Boy, nice <laughs> life there, Will Weatherford.
0: <laughs> Will, are you pro mosquito or anti mosquito?
1: You know, I'm very
4: anti-mosquito, and I always have been. I'm proud of it. And if, if if I were to be elected, mosquito control in Pasco County, I can promise we'd have less mosquitoes than we have today.
2: How's that for? Would a you build a wall to keep the mosquitoes out? I'm just <laughs> asking. You know,
4: it, either a wall or maybe a GPS system. You know, apparently that type of technology works. <laughs> so yeah. it, it, could, it could be a functional wall or some type of GPS triangulation. I'm not sure.
1: This is completely degenerating. Um, all right. Jim, you you Jim, you have to get control of this podcast. Yes,
0: I'm coming I'm coming back after you, boys. Uh the politically incorrect podcast number 1 will we appreciate you joining us as a guest and uh and we will be watching for your next move and don't be a stranger. Uh come back and join us anytime.
4: Yes sir. Thank, Thank you. It's an honor, guys. Thank you.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, boys, we have gotten to a situation here where we found out um, two very diverse situations there. One with Sandy and one with Will on where the party is at this point and uh, where they they want you know as Will put it, what they want to be when they grow up. Uh, any takes from uh, from uh, our guests today, uh, Tom? I I think the
1: I I think both of them put the best possible face on a really bad situation that that confronts Republicans. And um, I and, and either way November goes, the GOP is going to be a different party on the other side of Election Day. And and, and I think that schism that damages the, the the party and makes it have to reassemble as something that we've never seen before uh, is, is a distinct possibility.
0: Joseph, any closing uh, words from you? I'm gonna be uh, listening
2: very closely to what the Donald has to say in his acceptance speech. Uh, It is his chance, maybe his last chance, to show that he can have some judgment, have some restraint, uh, maybe pull off something without a, a massive screw up. And if he doesn't come out of the convention With a, I would say, minimum of five to seven point bounce, I think it's over. I think, barring something completely unforeseen, Hillary Clinton will be your next president.
0: You know, and speaking of Hillary Clinton, on the day after the Republican convention, which of course is Thursday, on Friday – I would be less than a good host if I didn't tease this – on Friday in Tampa – It is likely that Hillary Clinton will name her vice president and come Thursday when we do this again, we will talk a little bit about what we've seen and observed at the convention in Cleveland on the GOP side, get ready for what's going to happen in Philly come next week, and perhaps even chat a little bit about what's going to be uh, the ticket on the... On the Democratic side, when Hillary Clinton picks who she picks come Friday, and hopefully it'll be somebody that we'll have no problem chatting about, uh, meaning anybody but Tim Kaine uh, at this point. Uh, He's a wonderful man, but he's as boring as – well, I won't go there. But uh, anyway, ladies and And gentlemen – go ahead. In this campaign, that would be something completely different. Go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say – Uh, I wanted to thank everybody for joining us on the first ever Politically Incorrect podcast. Tom Jackson on the right, Joe Henderson on the left, and I'm Jim Williams, your host. We will see you again on Thursday.